from time to time, 2017 to 2020, and they still go there. Last year, they spent three months in Peru. Uh, John is a physician, and they were helping with COVID issues there. And he told me that every weekend was a mountain hiking adventure in beautiful Peru. I understand they're going to do the Rosedale Trail. So, you know, which, which is better? We can ask. Uh, John and Elaine, it was Thanksgiving, I think, when we shared coffee at your house. We talked about doing this, and I am so delighted that you've made the trip uh, to come here from Atmore, Alabama. Um, Elaine's going to talk today, John on Friday. This is just such a blessing. Would you please welcome Dr. Helene Yoder? Can everybody hear me? Yeah? Okay, good. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Um, and I will come back to it in this talk. Um, the title Pathways reminded me of an adventure I was on about eight years ago. Uh, together with a friend, I walked the Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrim's path. Um, it starts all over Europe and you end up in Santiago, in the big cathedral where tradition says that the remains of St. James are buried there. I'm not sure that's true, but the pilgrimage is amazing. Um, my friend and I started the pilgrimage in Lisbon, in which is in um, Portugal. And we walked for about five weeks and we walked uh, a total of 700 kilometers or 430 miles. And I learned a lot on this journey. The Camino de Santiago is marked with yellow arrows. So wherever you walk, whether you walk in a big city or in the woods or um, wherever you are, you look for those yellow arrows to direct you where to go. And sometimes they're very easy to find, they're very clear, and sometimes they're painted on stones or on poles, and you have to search for them a while before you find them. Now a friend su suggested that I use this Camino experience, Camino means a road, the Camino experience to talk about my journey um, through life uh, related to my vocations I'm supposed to do for this pathway session. Um, so I will do that. I will come throughout this talk, I will come back to the Camino experience and apply it to my life. Um, let's see. So to start with, like uh, Phil said already, I was born in the Netherlands. I was born in a Christian family, but the church we grew up in, because of the doctrines of the church, I did not have assurance of salvation for a long time, not until I was in my early 20s. But I did have a desire to live for the Lord. So from a very young age, I wanted to live for the Lord. And I wanted my choices also affecting my, my, my study and my career to be honoring to God. So when I was in high school, um, initially I wanted to go to medical school, but my grades were not quite good enough uh, in areas of, of math and science to be able to do that, so I had to look for something else. And it was actually my sister who suggested I would uh, study what he said, orthopedic health, which doesn't exist in any other country, but it basically could be translated as clinical child and family studies. And it prepares you for a career in, in mental health counseling with children and adolescents. 
So, um, so that's what I what I did. Um, Now, while I was uh, at university, I did a, uh, it was a master's program, and I had done like four years of theory, and then I was going to do a one-year practice in a clinic. And then my sister asked me to come along with her to England. She had a family back at home, three little children. One of them is deaf, and she was a little worried about the adjustment of the deaf girl uh, to a new language. Thank you. She was a little. She was a little worried about the adjustment of the, the deaf girl to, um, to, to a different language and everything. So she said, you know, can you come along? So I decided to take a break from my degree and go to England for a year. And God used that in my life. He uh, brought um, light into my life. He, he revealed to me that he actually really wanted to be my father and that I could be his child. So that was a big joy and a big relief after all those years of uh, insecurity. And so once I knew what God wanted to do for me, I wanted others to know about that too. So that was the first time that I started thinking about missions. So a picture of a way cr uh, wayside cross. When you walk the Camino, there are these crosses that are centuries old sometimes, and those they are marking important events that took place there. Um, and so they, they provide a place of contemplation and just, and, and just reflecting on God's work in your life. So that time in England was a sig sig uh, very significant time in my life in which I found life. Now, the Camino Santiago, you can walk it from many different places. So you can start in Italy, you can start in Austria, you can start in Switzerland, in England, in Portugal, in Spain. So everybody has a different journey. We all go to Santiago, but we all come from a different place. And you walk in different seasons. Some walk through the winter, some through spring. I was walking through spring. Um, so people, most people will walk the Camino de Santiago, some will ride a bike. Um, a few are cheating and I take the bus, which is not fair. But <laughs> um, the idea is everybody has a different journey. It looks different. Every Camino is different. And so mission also is different for everybody. And I had the blessing of having um, two, um, two sisters who were both also felt the call to missions. And my older sister um, and her husband and family became a missionary in Guinea, in West Africa. We were there for many years. And um, visiting there, getting to know the work there, was actually, it, it convinced me that that was not the kind of work for me. They were in a village, learning language, planting churches, the traditional mission work. Uh, it, was, it seemed really hard to me. My other sister was a missionary and her husband, or not really a missionary, they were Christian development workers in Laos and Burma. So very different area. And I went to see their work as well, got to know how they did missions in a closed country where you could not openly speak about Christ was a very different situation. But I loved how they were using their, their uh, professional skills to bring relief to the country and development. They were engineers, both of them, agricultural engineers. So uh, as I was thinking about uh, going into missions, I felt really drawn to the idea of using my profession uh, and working in a country where I are Christians and I, I, where I could actually empower Christians in that country to do the work that I would be doing otherwise. Um, now, was that my idea? Was it God's idea? You know, there's this verse in Psalm 37 that I think many of you know, which says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will reveal your heart's desires. That's all. And we usually read that, like, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart in the sense that he will give us what we like. But I read, I've learned to read it through the years also as, and I'm sure it means, means that too, but I've learned to read it as well as, he will give me my heart's desires, he will shape the desires of my heart. He will begin to form desires in my heart. And so some people are so afraid of 
their own desires. It's like, well, it's just my desire, God's desire. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will shape the desires of your heart. And you can trust him for that. So he, l- he puts desires in our hearts. And for me, the desire was to work in a country that I could actually empower the church. And so not in a closed country. And then also I didn't, I didn't, I'm not a language, I mean, I speak English, but I don't love learning languages. So I was also looking for a country where the language is not too complicated. But I left that up to the Lord. So the next picture seems to be out of place. But when I was walking among the Camino, there were so many flowers, so many. It was just beautiful. And they were all blooming, just blooming where they were planted. The seeds fall and scatter and they grow. And these flowers were did what they were supposed to do. Now, I think there's seasons in our lives that we are just waiting. And God is preparing us. And he's working something in us. And he just, we don't know yet how he's going to use it. Now, after I completed my master's, I, I felt it was good for me to take some time to get some life experience and some professional experience. You know, you can go to the mission field when you are 20, and that's, that's okay. God uses that. But I felt often to be able to have something to give to the people, um, it's good to have some life experience. O- also, because we're often placed in positions where we teach, and if we are 20 and you have to teach 40-year-olds, they probably won't listen in most cultures. They just look at you like, you're just a child. So it was good to, to take some time to wait. And so I had this time in my life where I spent just waiting for God to say it's time. I worked for five years in a uh, mental health clinic, outpatient mental health clinic for children and adolescents and their families, counseling children, youth, parents, families. Um, and I loved it. And I told my boss, I'm not going to stay. I will be leaving s- I will go to the mission field. He didn't mind. He was a Christian, and I they paid for me to take all sorts of training. They paid for me. They paid for my work. They uh, gave me all this experience, and they knew it was one day going to be not for them, but for the kingdom, and God blessed me in that. So, um, let's see. So I took advantages of, of that time that later could, uh, could be used. Um, so I would, sa- I would encourage you too. Take that time to bloom. Take that time to learn, to grow, to flourish. And, and you never know how God will, will use it. And don't feel guilty about taking your time. Your life is hopefully long, and uh, those seasons are important. Um, so after completing my master's, okay, sorry. I <laughs> after five years working, um, we had a servant in our church. It was in December 99. And they said, we would like you to make a decision of what you're going to do in 2000. And they gave us this little piece of paper, and we had to write down what we were going to do for the Lord in 2000. So I wrote down, suddenly, for some reason, I felt the time had come. And I wrote down, I will go to Bible college in 2000. And then I dropped it in the offering bag, and they took it to the front, and they held it up to the Lord, and they prayed over it. And I was suddenly like, my life is about to change, because uh, I, <laughs> I just you know, made that commitment. Now, just a step back. Actually, I forgot this. I skipped something. While I was working, um, so I, I learned a lot. I also had to make another decision, and that was about managing my resources. Because I went from being a student to being somebody who made money. And even though it wasn't huge, because when you just start, you, you don't make that much money. But, I mean, it was a lot more than I was used to. And I had to decide, because of my, I felt a call to missions, um, I paid off my student loans first, which was not very big, and I got it done in six months. Um, and then I decided to keep living a simple lifestyle. 
because I wanted to go to Bible college and I needed to pay for it somehow. So I set my money aside on, in a bank account. Now that's, that seems like a small thing, but it's, it can actually be quite big when you are uh, in your 20s and a little insecure and all your friends are buying houses and renovating their houses and getting cars and um, buying clothes that you actually quite like and doing things that your colleagues, the people you oversee, the people you work with, they do things you cannot do because your goal in life is different. So, and, but yet God, God blessed that and he, he gave me a desire to, to do that. So uh, in, 2000, uh, in 2000, I took that step and that I had promised to do for the Lord. I went to Bible college way back. This building is in, uh, in, in England, in uh, the UK. Uh, it's called Almost Just Christian College. And this is the Bible college I had dreamt of going to. I really wanted to go there. It was, it's an amazing place, about 200 students and 36 nationalities the year they were there. So it was amazing because when you could figure that, Okay, 36 nationalities. So I must say that I learned as much from living together and doing chores together as I learned from just the, the teaching because everybody does chores different. Even if you have to clean a place, somebody from Africa will clean it very different than somebody from Asia or from the Netherlands. And so the African student wanted to clean all together in one spot and keep moving around. And I wanted to delegate and everybody's quickly, efficiently doing the job. So this was very different. So I learned all these different styles um, of, of doing things, but also resolving issues and, and learning and appreciating. And the same in class. I remember this, this uh, class on Christology and every culture had a different perspective on Christ. So it was an amazing time. I spent uh, one year and all my money was gone. My savings, everything was gone. And yet I really had a desire to complete it for two years. Um, so I, I prayed about it. I went to the financial director and said, I would love to stay another year, but I don't have any money. And he looked at me and he said, okay, we're going to trust the Lord for that. And I, very soon after that, somebody came to visit and gave me, I think, 500 euros. I'd never had that much money in my hand, like cash. I still remember like, oh. And so that was a start. And from 2000 to 2015, when I had a short stint of working for a secular NGO, I never made money, really, but God always provided, always. I never had any, I never needed anything. So I just want to encourage you. If God calls you, he will provide. Um, during my time at, um, <laughs> sorry, this is it, I guess. So, I'll keep an eye on that. Okay. So halfway through my time in, some in uh, Bible school, uh, we had to do an internship, and I went to Guatemala uh, to do some training there for um, some people working with children. And I did this for WEC International. And WEC International, so WEC stands for World Evangelization for Christ. It's a mission agency. And I was just really impressed with them while I was there because they reached out to me all the time, and they were praying for me. And I thought, I need an organization like this that prays for me a lot because I saw how hard it could be. And um, so I decided to, to write to WEC, and I said, I am, uh, after two years, I was done with Bible school, I said, do you have any place I could serve? Now, they sent me uh, two pages, like three columns, small prints, full of opportunities. That was so much overwhelming. So I read through all of them, and I actually then prayed over it and said, Lord, where do you want me to go? And... Um, God drew my attention, I mean, I didn't know that, to two countries, East Timor 
and Sierra Leone, and they were both post-war countries. And I felt like that would be a place I could use my skills in counseling. And um, so I prayed some more over it, and there's a book called Operation World. You may have it in the library here. It describes every country in the world and describes the different needs that are there, the, the religions, the um, whatever is going on. And so I read that, and I thought, I think it's Sierra Leone. I think that's I would fit really well there. So I wrote to WEC. I didn't tell them anything. I wrote to WEC, and I said, you know, you send me all these opportunities. Is there any place you'd like me to go? And they said, well, we didn't want to tell you, but um, if since you ask us, we would like you to go to Sierra Leone. So that was amazing. It was such a confirmation. And another thing was I'd been reading through Scripture in Exodus where God says, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me in heaven. And then he tells Moses, um, uh, I send you and I'll go with you. And to me, that was a scripture that's, that spoke to me. I'm a, ask John, I'm an anxious person. I can, if you want to know what, go, what can go wrong in a situation, I can tell you in detail everything that can go wrong. So um, going to a post-war country um, with in, a, in a very poor country where a lot could go wrong, that was a big deal. But God was faithful and said, and said I will go with you. Um, so actually, when I went on a visit there in 2002, uh, that was just after the war ended, and the country was literally in shambles. The lady I stayed with, a Sherleonian lady, said to me, you know, we are just like the people uh, of Israel, and, and he, their cry, the cry of their oppression came up to God in heaven. And it was exactly the same scripture, and to me it was such a confirmation. So I went there in 2003. Um, so yeah, I went there in 2003 under Bank International. Now, it was an exciting time. Um, it was a small team, and very soon... Other situations, I was asked to lead a team, which was quite intimidating, but I had all this experience from leading a team in the Netherlands, doing management courses, remember that time that I was there? <laughs> and, and so that helped me a lot now to take on the, the leadership task. Um, but one thing we ve felt very strongly about is we came into this country where education had fallen apart, lots of people who want to do good things but were not equipped. And so our we really worked very closely with the Sherleonian team we equipped them, we trained them, we gave them resources, and they went out to work with the children. So it seems a lot more fun to be there directly hands-on with the children, but we knew our task was to, to equip them to do it, because we wouldn't stay there forever. We would at some point go away again. So we trained Sherleonians to work with street children, refugee children, children in prison, um, children with disabilities, and they did the work and were so amazing with it. They did an amazing job. So I did it for about four years, and then 2007, Back International did not have enough missionaries with a long-term vision for Sierra Leone, and said, we are going to close down our fields. So that was hard, because I loved Sierra Leone, and I finally spoke the language, because I'm a slow learner, um, and I felt like people also trusted me more. Like, when you first come, they will, they will be your friend. They're super friendly people, but to actually come to you with the, the deep hurts in their heart, it takes time. And they were beginning to do that. And I thought, now they finally trust me and I'm getting to know them and then I leave. So maybe I didn't feel it was right. So I asked um, leave and asked to time to discern what God had for me. Now, let's see. Okay, back to the Camino. <laughs> so I was looking again for those yellow arrows in my life, those signs. Where do I go next? What do I do? Now you see this picture one day, my friend and I were lost, and um, there was no yellow arrow. 
But thankfully, there had been some other pilgrims, Germans, who had walked just before us that morning, and they apparently got lost too and found where they had to go, and they put these sticks on the ground, and we suddenly went like, look at this, we know where to go. And it was not a yellow arrow, but it was a, 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 a they pointed us the way. So uh, going back to my life in Sierra Leone, I had just gone through a quite a rough personal season. I was in a relationship with somebody. I thought we were going to get married, but apparently we were not. And that was difficult. That was really disappointing. And the thing that was hardest for me is that I had prayed so much about it and I had searched scripture and I had talked to other Christians that I trusted and everybody agreed, yeah, this was seemed to be God's way for me. And, um, and the scriptures that I read seemed to point in that direction. And yet it wasn't. And so now I was seeking God's direction again for a big decision and I couldn't trust myself anymore. I was like, I, I could read anything in the Bible and think it's what it means. Apparently, yeah, apparently I can be very mistaken. With all my love for the Lord, I still, and even people around me who are mature Christians, they got it wrong. And just God in his grace used other ways to direct me. Even when, when I got so insecure about the scripture, he spoke to me through music, very much so, songs, and he spoke through me to life events. Now, I had a desire in my heart. I, I wanted to step away for a little bit from working with children. And I had seen so many people with mental health issues walking in the streets in Freetown. And they would have severe mental illness like schizophrenia. Or, and they would be in a psychosis and just be just totally in, turned into themselves. They would never speak to anybody. Um, and suddenly these people started reaching out to me, literally. They would grab me and say, friend. And there was this woman who was just very, very mentally ill. And, you know, I helped her get dressed because she was undressing herself. Another time, another one hugged me. Another one, I was sitting along the roadside, and this man comes up to me and says, I think you're my creator. And <laughs> I was like, well, I don't think so, but I know him. I know you're creator. Why don't you sit with me? And we had this talk, and he was like, you know, living in the streets in very bad shape. So God used these encounters. And then through one of them, I met this pastor who welcomed these people in his home. It was a very old and dilapidated building and uh, it was quite intimidating. You'll see here, these are some of the young people that were there. And as you can see, they have a big chain on their leg um, and they were chained to that sort of an engine block or whatever. That was psychiatry in Sierra Leone and still is often. Um, now there was a psychiatrist who came every once in a while, gave them a heavy sedation. Then they got a chain on their leg and that was it. And then lots of prayer and lots of fasting and, and Bible reading. But that was it. And um, like Emmanuel, you see here, he, wa he had schizophrenia and was just almost always on chain because he was so violent and there was no medication that he could tolerate. So this pastor invited me to work with him, which I did. And I tried to bring in other organizations, saw myself more as a, a spider in a web, bringing in others to help psychiatrists, um, organizations, funding. And we were able to build a beautiful facility for people with mental illness and addiction problems uh, just outside Freetown where they can come and spend time and, and find get therapy, healing. Now, that was, was very good, but after about four or five years, uh, this pastor that I worked with, who was an old man, uh, started to change and began to see me as more as a threat. And I don't know why that happened, and I have no answers for that, but he got older and he might also have some mental issues, I don't know. But he, he became to turn, he turned himself against me. And whatever I tried to do, whatever I tried to suppose, try to suggest changes or uh, improvement, he would not accept it. And 
it became very difficult. And he was a man who was very godly. I didn't deny that he was very godly, but he had a problem with anger. And he could get very verbally abusive and spiritually manipulative. And there I am as a single woman. Um, I didn't have any organization behind me because Beck had left. So what do you do? And I, all my friends were like, Helene, you're not doing well. You need to stop. You need to go. This is not healthy. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I am somebody. I cling to hope. I was like, Lord, I want to see this place to be a blessing. I know you're going to do it. And yet at the same time, he was this man was just <laughs> running over me and making things so hard. And, and finally God interv intervened. And he just gave me, well, the mosquito did, but I got severe malaria. And I got so sick. I, I couldn't do a thing. I was lying on the ground in my, in my house on my mattress and having fever and feeling miserable. And I just couldn't do anything anymore. I, I had no appetite anymore. I was just in really bad shape. And that was when God got my attention. And um, so I decided to travel back to the Netherlands. I was almost, it was almost time for my leave anyway. Um, I recovered physically very quickly in the Netherlands. Uh, emotionally, spiritually, I needed time. I got some counseling. There's no shame in that. If, you need, if you're feeling bad off, it's good to talk to somebody. Got some counseling, got some help to process all that had happened. And decided that I wanted to go back to Sierra Leone, but staying in the same organization would still be very difficult. And I needed something else that would actually be more life-giving. Um, so I, because I didn't feel it was right to withdraw and, s and, and just step away from that situation. But I needed something else. And so, which is very strange to some people, I started a PhD program, which to me is fun. And um, also, I saw it as a, as a, as a ministry because... You know, there's so many children in these countries, and they need help. But we cannot take all our Western psychologies and ideas about how to raise a child and how to treat trauma from America and go to um, a country like Sierra Leone and just do the Western therapies on them. That's not right. It's a very different country, very different values. And so I wanted to learn about mental health in that country. I wanted to learn what does it mean and what, how does, what does it look like to be depressed? What does it look like to have, uh, you know, when you have behavior problems, what works? And so I started my PhD program next to my work. And that was, that was good, because I enjoy that. I also had a chance um, by then, and that's why sometimes it's good to have some education and to have a master's degree or whatever you can get, it doesn't matter. Um, I was invited by the World Health Organization to help them think through how to develop mental health care for this country. I also was involved in starting a mental health coalition for the country. So these were things that I could do and that were just fun and brought light into my life. Um. So in 2014, I had been back for a few years and I finally decided it was time to finish my work at this organization and actually just round up everything and take a sabbatical. I'd been in Sierra Leone for about 11 years. Um, now, looking back at those seven years at that place um, with this pastor, I've often thought, like, was this a failure? Did I waste seven years of my life because there was a beautiful building and yet the abusive practices kept going on? People are still on chain. People are still not giving the right treatment. People are still not doing very well. It's a beautiful building, but the content is not that great. Was that a failure? Did I waste my life? But reflecting on that, I, I realized that in those seven years, I met so many people who were rejected by society, who had severe mental illness, and I could give them some love and some care and some respect, which nobody showed them. And so I hope that my presence there has brought some like impact in their lives personally. Sometimes it's all about those personal contacts. Also, 
I told later to an older missionary, and I said, "What you know?" I told him about it, and he said, "I said I, said, I feel a failure," and he said, "But Helen, you were obedient." And that really opened my eyes. Like, it's not about success in missions or in whatever you're doing. It's not about success in life. It's about being obedient to the call. And if you do that, that's how God measures your life, not how successful you are. So that reminded me of this, this uh, picture. This is, again, back on the Camino. You know, we often walked on soft surfaces to the fields, and then you would come to a road like this. It's amazing how it hurts your feet. It's not fun. It really hurts. But we had to walk there. So we walked these roads with the cobblestones. And these were Roman roads. They were centuries old. They had been there for ages, centuries. And pilgrims had walked these roads centuries before me. And so it's the same emissions. Um, people have gone there before us. Uh, they have gone through rough and hard times. I'm not, not, that's not unique. That's not new. I'm just one of them. And we all walk through seasons in our lives that are hard, that hurt our feet that are difficult and that others have gone through. And others after us will go through it as well. And But we all go for the same goal. We all um, walk with Jesus in obedience to the goal set before us. So in 2014, I keep jumping, but 2014, I rounded up my work at, uh, at the place and uh, I had to do another research study for my PhD. And it kept getting delayed and so I did some other work with other organizations just a few weeks here a few weeks there and didn't know why it got delayed but finally in March I my professor came and we did our project in the same area where my now husband actually was working in a clinic and so um, we met and that's another beautiful story that I can't all tell but like how amazing is it I was 43 I never expected to get married and people told me, if you stay in Sierra Leone, you'll never get married. But God had different ideas about that. So there's another story you can ask us about it. But um, So I went on sabbatical, walked the Camino de Santiago, and prayed about the future. And in the meantime, Ebola struck in Sierra Leone, in Liberia. And um, that was a very difficult time. People were terrified, and rightly so. It was very difficult. Many, many people died. It was a it was a scary disease. COVID is nothing compared to that. Um, if you think that was hard, <laughs> Ebola was was difficult. Um, but independently, John and I had already decided we wanted to go back and and help. And so um, we decided that we would uh, do that in 2000, uh, early 2015. Again, a picture of the Camino. You know, you're searching for God to guide you. Here's the little arrow. This was in a city, and there was so much graffiti on the wall that it's it was hard to see it. And there were also other arrows on the wall, other colors, other birds, things around there. And sometimes when you're seeking for God's direction, people say all sorts of things. And, and there's all sorts of things that you need to ignore. And so for me, one thing that I needed to ignore was I, I told a lady in church who was a very mature Christian lady, I said, you know, Ebola, I told her about Ebola in Sierra Leone. And she said, oh, well, God would not ask you to go there, would he? And I was really surprised and disappointed because I was like, isn't the Christian life about sacrifice? And, and I had expected her to support me and encourage me. And what she did was basically saying, you know, you don't expect him to do that. And because there was a battle in my heart. You know, I was 43, I finally had a fiancé and God put him in an Ebola treatment ward where doctors died. <laughs> and so I was not, I was a little apprehensive about the whole adventure. But and we knew God called us, and so we did, and we survived. <laughs> and we got married. 
So that was just after we came back from Ebola land, as I always say, we got married. And our vows, we, we wrote our own vows, and our vows, one of the vows was that we would, um, our love, by God's grace, will involve a commitment to serve wherever he leads. We wanted our life together to continue to be a life of missions. Um, and so we settled in Alabama for a little bit, uh, spent some time there. I got to know his family, wonderful family, children, grandchildren. And uh, then we felt it was time to go again. And we landed again in, in Sierra Leone, now in the south of Sierra Leone. I could tell you a lot about that too, but it's no time. Um, John worked in a hospital. In that same hospital, there were a lot of uh, young girls that were brought to the hospital because they had been abused, sexual abuse, rape, and there was nothing for them there. They would just get checked up and go home. And so I was able to train some nurses to counsel these girls. So that was one thing I did. I also, we discovered there were a lot of children with disabilities hidden in their homes, in the villages. Children with disabilities are seen as um, demons, witches. Um, yeah, so they're very, they're usually not treated very well. So we started an organization to serve these children. And we called it Nyandengo, which means you're beautiful. Because all these people say, you're a witch, you're a demon. And we said, you're beautiful. And so we started that organization with a local team. I don't have enough time to talk about that, but I can tell you more later. Um, now this time in Matrujong, in the south of Sierra Leone, was super challenging in many ways, especially for John. He might say more about it tomorrow. Um, but it was a good time too, and, and God really used it to shape our lives. Um, but in 2020, we decided it was time to go home. We'd spent three years there, and um, we went home. And I finally finished my PhD. So <laughs> I finally got a doctorate, the first time ever today that somebody said I'm a doctor. But I mean, it's quite probably weird. But anyway, it's, it's okay. And it was good. And it was fun to be able to complete this and to have this skill now because I have other skills that I can use now and I'm hoping to use for the kingdom of God. Um, right now, I'm again looking for that little arrow for God telling me to go here or there. I'm working with Nyandengo, uh, part of the uh, my time, because there's a lot. I like by now, we have almost 100 children in that program, children with disabilities. The local team is doing the work. I train them. We go there, hopefully soon again, um, to support them. Uh, so that's part of my work. And otherwise, I don't know yet. Uh, but this song, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good to me. I know he will be with me on the journey. So that scripture, um, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highest desires. I would, if, you, if you'd ever asked me as a child what I was going to do in my life, I would never have come up with a story like this. And, and it's amazing, but God has been faithful. And I want in my heart to be the highways to Zion, not to anywhere else, not to any other career goal. It's good to make a career. And if this story could as well be told about a career in America, because that doesn't matter where we are, as long as our hearts are on the highway to Zion. So that's my prayer, that we will all set our hearts on the highway as we journey through life, and that one day we will hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. you so much. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this example of faithfully following you, trusting you, and being used by you. I ask, Lord, that Elaine's story and her example could be used to help us think through 
the arrows that you are placing in our lives to think through the decisions we need to make. Would you bless these students as, uh, as they sort through the path ahead of them? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.